Well, good morning. It's good to have you here this morning. We'll be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I am glad to be here this morning. My name is Matt Perez. I'm the care and equipping pastor here if you're new. This week my voice has been playing hide and seek, and I hope it doesn't hide during this service or the second. So I apologize if you may have to lean in, but I sound much better than I did Tuesday. We're glad that you're here this morning as we worship the Lord in song, and in a little while we'll be worshiping around the communion table as well as now in the Word. And if you don't have a Bible, or you don't have a phone or an app uh, to access a Bible, there are some on the chairs around you. Please grab one. It's our gift to you. We pray that you take it home and be uh, just blessed by that. And we would love to talk to you more about God's Word if you have questions about it. A couple of years ago, I was one of three men that would meet once a week early in the morning in this run-down cabin in the woods with mice traps around them, or mouse traps, however you want to say it, mice traps, doesn't matter. And we would gather together uh, once a week, and we were three very different men. In fact, we often joke that if we hadn't met in, in Christian circles, if we weren't saved, we would have met another way. One of the men was, was, was not very literate, uh, a, a factory worker, and I'm not knocking on factory, I mean, he just was not very literate, loves the Word of God. He is as faithful a man as I've ever met in terms of wanting to read and understand the Word of God, but he, he doesn't read well. Um, so it was him and a, a man who came to Christ who, who was a convicted felon, and myself who uh, went to law school, and he and I often joked that if we weren't saved, we would have met another way. Um, but here we were, we would gather once a week to open God's Word to let Scripture speak. And, and we really, we were three men from very different backgrounds, but we all had one thing in common. We, we all wanted to love God. We wanted to lead our families well. We each had children. We wanted to um, raise our children to know God. And we took very different approaches in how we did this. One of them was a, a family that was homeschooled. One was a family that was Christian-schooled. And one of us was a family that was, was public schooled, so we kind of digged each other and kind of laughed about it. One of us had a wife who was a stay-at-home mom. One of us had a wife that was a work-from-the-house mom. And one of us was a, a, a home that had a wife that worked outside the home. So we, we had these very different backgrounds. We uh, didn't always see eye-to-eye on what we let our children watch or listen to or what we thought they should or shouldn't be reading. And we saw these as, as secondary matters that we set aside because we knew something. We knew that at the end of the day, even though we were taking different approaches, each of us had a desire to build a healthy relationship with God and see our family have healthy relationship patterns with God as well. And so we set those secondary matters aside to say, listen, we're all striving for the same goal here. We want to see health in ourselves and our families. And so we gathered to encourage each other. Now, as a church, we can be very similar. We come from different backgrounds. We come from different uh, uh, family upbringings. We have different family dynamics, different family structures. We may disagree on what we should be reading or watching or listening to or hearing, and, and we may not see all eye to eye on what, what I would call some secondary matters. But at the end of the day, we gather with different ideas or different approaches as to how we want to see each other grow and our church grow. But at the end of the day... We want to see ourselves and our church grow in very healthy spiritual ways. We just don't see eye to eye all the time on that, and that's okay. 
This morning, we come, close, we come to our close of our time in 1 Thessalonians. We've been looking at this letter that Paul has written over the past couple of weeks that he had written to the church at Thessalonica, a church that Paul founded in his missionary journey. Uh, people came to Christ. This is a young church. Paul got ran out of town by what we would call non-believers who were very angry with the gospel being spread. And a few weeks go by, and he sends Timothy, his co-worker, back to check on how the church is doing. Timothy comes back and gives a report, and Paul is excited, and that leads Paul to write this letter to this very young church to encourage them in growing in healthy patterns. And so he encourages them that they have turned from worthless idols to a living God through the finished work of Jesus Christ. He praises them for their love for God, for their love for each other, and for their love for Paul. He praises and encourages them to continue in their growth, and he challenges them in their growth in in, in honoring God in a a sex-saturated culture we saw in chapter 4. And he encourages them to grow in honoring God in their view of work. He encourages them to grow and honor God in the way that they see death and when Christ will return and what that looks like. And when you came to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11 last week, we saw that Paul encourages the church by saying, listen, Christ died so that we can live in him and for him, and we need to encourage and build each other up. And that's where our passage ended uh, last week in verse 11, that Christ died so that we can live in him and for him, and we need to be encouraging and building each other up. And now as Paul closes his letter, he's going to set off these really quick rapid-fire commands. It's a lot. It, it, It almost feels like, you know, when when, when I'll just kind of say this, when, when I'm getting ready to go to the grocery store, my wife fires off about six more things that she needs real quick, and I'm just kind of in overload and just say, text it to me or send me a picture because I'm going to grab the wrong something. It's guaranteed, right? And so it can be very overwhelming. It's easy firing off these quick things, but there's actually a method to what he's firing off, and we can actually group it into some areas that he's calling them to, to be a, a healthy and growing church in the Lord. And this morning, I want us to think about this concept this morning of what it means to be a healthy church. What are some characteristics of a healthy church that we want to be striving for as Paul challenges this young church? And I would say this, you'll see it on the screen behind me. This is the, the big idea we want to focus in on this morning. A healthy church consists of healthy Christian relationships. And actually, I should have inserted the word healthy Christian biblical relationships, where we make much of God as he shapes us for his glory. We're going to unpack this in a moment. Let's look at scripture and see how Paul unpacks this as we dive in together. Starting in verse 12, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have the letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I want to unpack this comment, this statement I made of that a healthy church 
consists of healthy Christian relationships where we make much of God as we, he shapes us for his glory. I want to unpack this a little bit. Let's look at the first part of this sentence. The, a healthy church consists of healthy Christian relationships. And I would even, if you're taking notes, insert the word healthy Christian biblical relationships. Paul, in verses 12 through 15, hits on two different relationships within this young church. One is the relationship between the pastor and his church, and the other is the relationship amongst the church body. So he's, he's going to hit on very quickly in these four verses the relationship from pastor to congregation and the relationship from a congregation member to another congregation member, as we would say today. Let's look at this very briefly. He says, Listen, I ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you. Those are your pastors and your leaders and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. As Paul opens this and talks about this, we have to admit that when we think about a relationship between a pastor and his church or an elder in his church or staff in his church, I'm just going to talk right now for a moment about a pastor in his church, we come with a lot of preconceived ideas. Some of us come with baggage. I myself had to come with baggage when I think about this concept that we bring to the table that we have to think about. I want to talk briefly just about my own experience, my own life. Uh, in January, I'll be 44, which makes some of you think I'm really old and others think he's just a baby. It's okay. My kids think I'm old and my parents still think I'm a baby. It's all good. I love them both, right? So I'll be 44 in January. I grew up in the church, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday. We, we were very much involved in church. My grandparents went to church with us. It was a very loving environment. I was very blessed for the environment. Um, junior high year, the church went through a very nasty split and found myself wandering through my junior high, high school years and some of the early parts of my college years until a, a good brother in the Lord really just encouraged and loved me and brought me back into what it meant to be in a right relationship with God. But I'm 44. I've spent most of my life in church. For the last 22 years, I've been on staff at a church, either uh, in, in a part-time, full-time, volunteer capacity. And I, I've seen firsthand a lot of different pastor relationships with their church. I have seen firsthand the pain of a pastor ripping a church apart from an affair he had with a woman. I've seen firsthand a pastor retire, and he was dearly loved, and for years on end, the congregation still talked very affectionately about him and loved the way that he cared for them. I've seen pastors who have wept over their church, as well as I've met pastors who I'll just say are downright lazy, and don't really care for their church. I've met pastors who have agendas that are other than God's, as well as pastors who just really genuinely love their flock, and wouldn't, you, you wouldn't believe how much they just want to just love on them and care for them with the love of Christ. I've met pastors who have been abusive, as I would say, to their congregation, dishonest with their congregation. I have met pastors who just are downright awful, in their care, in their handling of the Word of God and their love for their flock. At the same time, I have met pastors who just absolutely love the Word of God, love God with all their heart, soul, and mind, and desire to see people to come know Him. In my own time as a pastor, I have been praised, I have been thanked, I've been encouraged, I've been loved, I've been chewed out, I've been yelled at, I've been gossiped about, I have been lied about, I've had my family gossiped about and lied about in very painful ways. I've served with elder teams that have simply rubber-stamped messages that pastors wanted to do. I've served with elder teams that said, it's my job to protect the church from the pastor and have been just downright nasty. 
And I've worked with elder teams that have simply loved God, loved his word, loved the church, and wanted to work with the pastor to encourage and equip the church. I share this to say, when we come to the topic of what a a pastor's role is with the church, we all come with preconceived ideas and we come with baggage, and I don't exclude myself from that. But at the end of the day, what I want us to do is set aside what we think a pastor should be doing, how we may have been wounded by a pastor in the past, how I may have been wounded by congregation members in the past, and I want us just to think about one concept, and it's this. The health of a church is very much intertwined with the health, spiritually, of their pastors. It's not a mistake. It's not a coincidence. When you have spiritual, healthy leaders, and I'm going to expand this now to pastors, staff, elders, when they are in spiritually healthy places, you have opportunities for your church to be in spiritually healthy places. On the flip side, when you have spiritually unhealthy leadership, it can infect a church like nobody's business dishonoring God. Now, in saying that, we look at verse 12 and 13, and we understand that a, a, a church's health is very much intertwined with the spiritual health of their leadership. Listen to what Paul says as he encourages this church. He says, to respect those who labor among you. Those are the, 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 the pastors, and I would include now, our, I'm going to talk about our pastors and staff and our elders. He says, respect them that labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So regardless of what you think a pastor or a staff member should be doing or an elder should be doing, let's just look at a couple things that Paul says here. He says, number one, he says that, that, that the role is to labor among you. That word labor means to toil, to work hard. That your pastor, your elders, your staff, they should be working hard. Working hard at what? Well, look at what he says in verse 12. To, to labor among you and are over you and admonish you. Regardless of how you think a pastor or a staff or elder should be operating, what you should understand and expect is this. They're called to toil in the leading spiritually in the Word of God. They're called to toil and to work hard in the spiritual leading and correcting, admonishing, in the Word of God. You should expect that from your church, pastors, staff, and elders, that they would work hard at understanding and leading the way in opening the Word of God and looking to live out the Word of God and to share it, which means sometimes it's not always enjoyable to hear both encouraging as well as corrective aspects of God's Word. When I think about this concept, I personally am drawn to Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. When I first got into ministry many years ago, I was sitting in a, in a classroom and uh, had, a pa- had a, pr- a professor talk about Ezra chapter 7, and it changed my life. Now, in Ezra chapter 7, Ezra is a, a priest in the Old Testament. Israel was in Babylonian captivity. They came out of the Babylonian captivity, and Ezra was one of the men that was called to lead in the spiritual reformation, the, the re- bringing the group of Israel back to God in Israel after they had been sent out in captivity for their sin. God's brought them back, regathered them, and Ezra is one of the men who's called to lead the way spiritually in calling them back to God. And in Ezra chapter 7, God tells us that Ezra was um, found favor from the Lord. Now, when I'm reading God's Word and I find that somebody's found favor or, or are, are, are found to be joyful in the sight of the Lord, I, I want to lean in and see, 
What is it that this individual is doing that is drawing God's favor? Because that's what I want as a man of God and when I'm leading the church. I want God's favor. So what was Ezra doing that he had that? When you get to Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, it's not going to be on the screen behind you. It says this, Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. There are three things that Ezra was doing here as he was leading. I'm going to talk for a moment for, for, for our staff that's in here and our, myself and for our elders that are amongst us. Listen to the progression that Ezra has here. He dedicates himself to diving in and studying God's Word to understand it. And this now, though, is where most individuals, when they fall, they really get it wrong, and it's this. They go from studying it to, I want to teach it. But when you look at Ezra 7.10, and I would encourage you to look it up when you get home, there's a middle step that we sometimes miss that is so crucial. Ezra it was set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it. He applied the Word of God to himself. And as he was working it out, he was teaching it to others. We are called, Ezra was called, to study God's Word, to live out God's Word, and to teach God's Word. If you are an elder or a staff member or a pastor, if you are praying for your elders or your staff or your pastors, pray that they would be men and women who are not only studying God's Word and teaching God's Word, but looking to live out God's Word in the process. Paul says, as they do this, verse 12 and 13, as they labor among you, as they, as they lead you and admonish you or correct you, and we're going to talk more about the Word of God in a little bit, he says in verse 13 that you are to esteem them highly in love because of their work, that you are to, to respect them and love them because of the labor that they're doing. So look at what Paul is saying is the relationship between a pastor and his church, or I'll even expand it to say your staff and your elders and your church. He says, listen, it's the job of the leadership to open up the Word of God, to labor hard in bringing you the Word of God, to teach you the Word of God, to let it guide us, to let it correct us, to let it be the authority in our church, and to encourage us even when it doesn't feel comfortable. And in return, church, you're to respond by, by praying and loving and encouraging your church pastors and staff and elders in this area. You want to have a healthy, dynamic church? I'll tell you what. And I'll tell you firsthand as a pastor, don't grow weary of praying for your leadership in your church to be growing in these areas, in the leading, in the sharing, in the living out of God's Word. It is the beginning of the healthy model of a church. Paul says, look what he says in verse 13, when we do this, there's peace. Insert now joke of every church fight you've been in at a business meeting, right? And some of them are not so funny. This doesn't mean we follow blindly pastors or staff or elders. We are all flawed individuals who are redeemed by Christ, who are working out our, our salvation still. But also doesn't mean we have to be at odds with them at every moment. Paul says, listen, a healthy church consists of healthy Christian biblical relationships. That includes a pastor, and I'm going to expand that to staff and elders as well, to their church. And then he switches gear in verse 16 and says, but there's also the need to have healthy relationships amongst church members, amongst the body. Look what he says in verse 16. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to, to, do good to one another and to everyone. Paul doesn't just hit on a pastor-church body relationship. Instead, he transitions now to relationships amongst the body. And notice what he does here. 
He's showing us that the spiritual care and the oversight of the body is not just belong to the pastors. It is a collective thing that we do together. He says, I want you to admonish the idle. It means to warn the undisciplined. It means that we are pastors, staff, as well as church body members called to be in healthy relationships where we can open up the word of God and encourage and even challenge and correct when necessary each other biblically and lovingly by the word of God. He says, encourage the discouraged, that we are to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, that we are to play an active role in the encouraging those who are hurting, those who are weeping, those who are going through difficulties, those who may be on the fringe, those who may be new. He says, listen to what he's saying here. He's saying these roles don't just belong to your staff or your elders or your pastors. These are, these are church body roles. And he says, as well as helping the weak, that we're called to help correct, help love, and help open our arms to those around us. And he says that we're to do this being patient with them all because we're all works in progress. We're all becoming conformed more and more to the image of God by his word. But we're invested in each other for the long haul. We're invested in each other not just for a short season or when it feels convenient or when you're just telling me what I want to be heard because I want to be stroked. We're in this for the long haul or to like sing a really bad high school musical. We're all in this together, right? I'm not singing and dancing because life's not a musical unless I really want to embarrass my kids and I don't, okay? Now, he says, don't repay evil for evil, but look to do good. Notice, as I'm talking about this, though, I, I want us to think about a healthy, Christian, biblical relationships. Because it's possible for you to be a part of a church for many years and have good relationships, but they're not biblical, Christian relationships. It's quite possible for you to connect into a church with very surfacey relationships, very long-term surfacy relationships, very long-term, and I'll just call them stroking relationships. And that's not what Paul is calling us to. He's calling us to a Proverbs 27, 17 mindset of being iron that sharpens iron. As iron sharpens iron, so one individual sharpens another. How does iron sharpen iron? I'm not a blacksmith, I don't make swords, but, but iron gets sharpened by, by coming into contact and sometimes having friction with another piece of metal. And sparks are flying. That's sometimes part of the, the breaking off of the impurities and to, to make this a, a, an instrument that is able to be used for its purpose. It's part of our growing together and being in biblical Christian relationships is being in relationships where we can be open with each other, loving with each other, that we could, as he said earlier, we could care for the weak, that we can care for the brokenhearted, but we can also admonish or correct one another. That We can be in relationships where we open the Word of God and we can say, you know, brother, or no, sister, you know, friend, I don't think you got it right here. Can I lovingly challenge you to think about something? But at the same time, you're giving them freedom to do that to you. I would encourage you, if you don't have them, to seek out, pray, and look to invest in relationships within your church body that are Christian, biblical, healthy relationships where God's word is at the center. 
Not only is it the center, but it's the authority. And you're willing to open it up and give them permission to speak into your life as they give you permission to speak into theirs. Which, as we saw earlier, sometimes means weeping with them, but at sometimes it means correcting them. Notice what Paul says. This is the job of the entire church. And your pastors, this is what he's showing you in the first couple of verses, it's their job to lead in this manner. Be willing to open the Word of God and let it speak. A healthy church consists of healthy Christian biblical relationships amongst their staff, pastors, elders, as well as amongst each other as we work together and labor together to glorify God. Which brings me to the second point. A healthy church is one that makes much of God. Let's look at verse 16. It says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecy, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Okay, let's look at a couple of things here. Number one, he calls us to live in joy in these relationships. Now listen, he's, he's a healthy church not only has healthy relationships with leadership, it not only has healthy relationships amongst each other, a healthy church is one that has a healthy relationship with God. And one that begins, as Paul begins to fire off some quick reminders of living a life that is rooted in joy. To be thankful in all circumstances. Now, he doesn't say be thankful for all circumstances, not for, but in. There's some circumstances in this world that are very painful. Paul's not making light of them, and neither would I. It's difficult to find joy in the midst of cancer. I've wept watching men and women who have loved well, spouses with dementia, who don't remember them and they have a lifetime of memories together. That's hard to find joy in. It's hard to find joy in cancer. It's hard to find joy in empty wombs. It's hard to find joy in broken marriages and broken uh, relationships between parents and children. There's a lot in this world that is very difficult to find joy in because we're in a broken world. He's not saying to find joy for these things, but in these things, can you find joy? And I would say yes, and here's why. I would encourage you to work your way back up to verses 9, 10, and 11, where God has reminded us that if you are in Christ, you are not destined to wrath, but you are destined to life in God in eternity. Right? So if you understand, Jesus Christ came to live a life of perfect obedience to the Father, where we don't, and he lived in perfect obedience to him, and in the end walks to the cross and says, I want to offer my life, my death, which is the penalty for sin from God's word. I want to offer my life as a penalty for their sin. And in exchange, I want you to count uh, their, my righteousness to their account and you count their sin to my account. And God says, yes. And if you come to understand who Jesus Christ is, you are, you've moved from enemy of God to child of God. It's the greatest title you can ever be given. And if you don't, I implore you, as Paul would say, to be reconciled to God. And I would encourage you before you leave today, take some time to, to ask someone who brought you or someone you see here who's on staff or walking around what it means to be in a relationship with God. We would love to talk to you. Now, why can we have joy in the midst of broken circumstances? If you're in Christ, here's why. Because if you're in Christ, the cancer, the broken relationships, the dementias, the empty wombs, this is as bad as it's going to get. Welcome to your hell. 
Heaven is awaiting you in Christ, and you can have joy because this isn't the end. Now, on the flip side, I'm going to just speak very lovingly and openly if you don't know Christ, and I'm glad that you're here. Hear me and understand this. The brokenness, the cancer, this is your heaven. Apart from Christ, this is as good as it gets. Because what God has told us, and what Paul has even shown us earlier is, that those who are not in Christ are destined to God's wrath, which is, as we've unfolded Scripture and look at it, much worse than anything we're going to see here on this earth. And so I don't say it flippantly to say, welcome to your heaven, but this is what it is if you don't know who Christ is. I would implore you to be reconciled to God. Paul says, be joyful, but find joy in these circumstances, not because they're going well, but because we have, verse 17, we can pray without ceasing. We can take our pains to God. He, he is ever-present there for us and waiting to hear from us. We're not left alone to figure out this world. We can give thanks in all circumstances because we are not destined to his wrath. Well, how do I do this? How do I have a heart that allows myself to find joy even in the midst of painful circumstances? Well, look at verses 19, 20, 21, and 22. We need to let the Holy Spirit and the Word of God lead. Look at verse 19. Don't quench the Spirit. When we come to Christ, we are given the Holy Spirit. He indwells us. We are sealed with Him at redemption until Christ returns or calls us home by death. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit that is actively working in our lives to shape us, to mold us, to correct us, to encourage us, to walk alongside us for God's glory. And we let Him lead when we open up God's Word and it speaks and we surrender to it. Verse 20, He says, Do not despise prophecies. When we think of a prophet, we think of somebody telling what's going to happen. When you open up God's Word, that's one aspect of what a prophet does. But as theologian Walter Kaiser points out well, it's this. Most of what prophets did was not telling what's going to happen. The bulk of what prophets did in God's Word was simply preach a call to righteousness to the people of God. A call to come to be with God and in God in right standing. So what he's talking about here when he's saying don't despise prophecies, he's basically, if we were to put it in a modern language, don't despise the word of God. We're back to preaching. We're back to opening the word of God. We're back to your pastors and your leadership. Don't despise them for opening up the word of God and speaking truth. In fact, you should be their biggest encouragers to be doing so in leading us in that manner. Because as we open up the word of God and we let it speak, he says this, test it. Hold fast what is good as the Holy Spirit is convicting you to, to change or to move in a direction more honoring to God. You let Him, because as you let Him do that through the Word of God, what it does, verse 22, is it pushes you away from evil and toward God. In a world that is facing, I would call, not a, not a, a, a famine of food, we, we're in a world of spiritual famine. We live in a world of spiritual famine, and, and, and a lot of you are parents right now, and, and you're making, how do, I, how do I raise my kid with good, healthy eating habits, right? I'm not the model, all right? Don't talk to me. 
all right? Because I'd give them, I'm already in grandpa mode. If your kids around me, they're getting cookies. Because I want cookies, and we're going to enjoy them together. And we're going to toast them, and I'm going to send them home sugared up to you, all right? So I'm not the guy to talk to about that. But I'm going to tell you something. We live in a world, and I don't want to pick on other people because I don't want to be this. We're living in a world where we're just, we're just feeding spiritual cookies from the pulpit. We're living in a world where we want feel-good theology and pop psychology masquerading as the Word of God. And what do you know about a kid who's raised on junk food? It's not healthy. And if you want to be raised on a diet of spiritual junk food, you're going to be unhealthy. So we're back to what Paul is telling us earlier, to, to, to respect and love those who labor among you. I would encourage you to be actively praying for your pastoral staff your leadership staff, your elders, your, 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 your staff members, to be men and women who open up God's word and want to come under it and live openly for it and to teach it openly and correctly, not telling you what you want to hear, but what God's word says, and let it lead as the authority. Paul says, when you do that, it pushes you closer to God and away from evil, verse 22. Paul says, make much of God in your daily life, in your public gathering, in your coming under the word of God. Let it lead. Because as we let the word of God lead, the Holy Spirit that indwells us will convict, will challenge, will encourage us to begin to make the changes that are necessary to bring glory to him, which drives us to our final point that Paul's going to talk about. A healthy church, it not only consists of healthy Christian biblical relationships. A healthy church also makes much of God, and a healthy church allows God to shape us for his glory. Look at what he says in verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. May God sanctify you completely. We've seen this word before in chapter 4. Let's talk about sanctification just very briefly. You've got positional sanctification. When I come to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and surrender to him, I now have new standing with God. I'm sanctified. I am no longer an enemy of God. I'm now a child of God. It's positional sanctification. You have what people would call progressive sanctification. Now that I'm a child of God, the Holy Spirit indwells me. And with the leading of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit indwelling me, He now is working in me to continue to mold me and shape me for His glory to make me more Christ-like. That's progressive sanctification. This process will go on until God returns or calls you home in what we would call glorification. That's when I'm now in eternity with God, my sanctification, sanctification is complete because my body of flesh is done away with. Paul says, listen to what he says here, the God of peace is working this out in your life, believer, and he is faithful in doing it. Let him work. So what does this mean? That, that my growth just means let God work in me and I do nothing and I just sit back while God does all the work? No. We let God, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us as believers, shape us, mold us, challenge us for His glory as He conforms us more into Christ's likeness until He calls us home either by death or His return. How do we let Him do this? It's actually pretty simple. Just work your way back up the passage. We surrender to the Word of God, so it pushes us from evil. When the Holy Spirit is convicting us, we move toward Him and not away from Him. 
We do this by surrounding ourselves with biblical relationships in which we can encourage, correct, and challenge one another. We do this by putting ourselves in positions where we uh, uh, call our staff, our church, our pastors, our elders to lead by the Word of God. If you want to let the Holy Spirit work in you, to work into your sanctification, how do you do it? You just work your way back up here in 1 Thessalonians by surrounding yourself with healthy biblical relationships that are Christ-based and Bible-based. And you do this by making much of God in those relationships when we come together. When we do this, we allow Him to shape us for His glory. Listen to what He says here. May you be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, listen, if you do this, if you allow the Word of God and the Holy Spirit to shape you by the relationships you find yourselves in, by the leadership you put yourself under and encourage, you'll find joy even in the midst of difficult times because you remember your position in Christ. If you do this, you'll be found, what he says, blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Dear goodness, if that were the prayer name of our church, right? Go home this week and pray on a regular basis, May I and my church family be found blameless at the return of Christ. May we be found faithful to being new in the things that he calls us to do. Because as we saw last week, he comes like a thief in the night. He doesn't knock and say, I'm coming when I'm coming. Death comes when it comes. His return's coming when it returns. He's not setting up an appointment with your day calendar. That's why he says we need to always be ready. How do we do that? By placing ourselves in these relationships with our church, with our church staff, by encouraging them by encouraging each other to let the Word of God lead. So that when Christ calls us home by death or His return, we can praise God that we were better in Christ for having each other in each other's lives. I, I, I pray that when my time on this earth is done, that I can say, God, thank you for putting the people of Life Church in my life and in my wife's life and my kids' life because we were better men and women of God because of the people there. And I pray that you could say the same about us. I pray that we can have hearts that are moldable for his glory, that we would make much of him, make much of his word, and let the Holy Spirit guide us and use our pastors and our leaders and our staff to strengthen and encourage each other with the word of God so that he may be glorified, so that when our light shines in this community, we don't point to how clever we are, how resourceful we are, how smart we are. We simply point to God and say, all glory be to Christ. Brothers and sisters, we are merely spiritual bankrupt beggars looking for spiritual food, and by God's grace and glory, somebody showed us the spiritual breadline. And our goal is to go out and point people to that breadline. May we be found faithful at His return or His calling us home. Because we were men and women that said we will let the word of God lead. And we will come under it and glorify him through our teaching and living it out. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for this time that we can pause and just say thank you for the time to go through a letter to a young church. Lord, as we have journeyed with Paul on the Thessalonians over the past couple of weeks, Lord, we have seen calls to be 
as we have put on the screen behind us each week, faithful. Faithful to you, faithful to your word, faithful to each other, faithful to allowing the Holy Spirit to guide and correct. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that prays and loves each other well. That we would be a church that prays and loves well on our staff, our pastors, our elders. That we would be a church that our pastor, our staff, and others would would love well. But most importantly, Lord, I pray that we would be a a church that all of us, from from pastors, staff, and elders on down to everybody, Lord, that we would be a church that would be one that is committed to surrender to the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Lord, we could talk for hours on these subjects. And Lord, this is but just a brief snapshot and reminder that our health as a body is very much intertwined in our relationships with each other and our relationship with you and our ability to surrender to you and your word to make much of you for your glory. Lord, I pray that if there are those who are here today who don't know you, that as we continue to worship in, in communion and in song, Lord, that they would take time to reflect on their time here. Lord, that maybe even they would just pray today, Lord, I don't even know if you're real. Don't even know if you're there. But Lord, if you are, even beginning today, you begin to reveal yourself more and more. And Lord, if there's somebody here that we've brought or praying for, encouraging, I pray that we would continue to invest and love them with the, with the love of God, not as a project but as somebody who's made in the imagio day in the image of God. May we love them well. May we as a church body love and care for each other well. We pray all this in your son's glorious name. Amen.